Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 6-7-2023, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll begin. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength. We pray as we begin our focus tonight, which is in Romans, that you will give us wisdom, that you will be able to give us through the humility that we have, exactly what we need in terms of satisfying those desires and thirsts for righteousness. Thank you, Father, for those who are joining tonight. We pray as we open your word that you, you will challenge us by the things we, we see there, that you will challenge us by uh, the context to remain faithful so that we will understand what you have given us in the context that it is written. All this we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we have been studying in the book of Romans. Uh, as you know, we're currently in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. And we are going to pick up there tonight. Uh, just wanted to say by way of just some announcement that we have the website out there <clears throat> where all of uh, the messages that we do uh, uh, have are on the website. And for the sake of transparency, we want people to know where we're coming from. So we do put things out there so that if someone wants to investigate, they're more than welcome to. And, but the website is uh, wordistruth.com. Wordistruth.com. It's available. Lots of things there for you to, to uh, take a look at. So let's get into it. I know we always seem to have a lack of time toward the end. So we're going to get our get right get, get right to it. Let's just see. Yeah. So Romans twelve ten says, "Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves." You should have notes, and we desperately need a definition of love today. Not the love the world touts that is like unconditional love, but God's love, quote, which has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's Romans 5, 5. The problem is that love is distorted to fit any purpose of the world. Love has a definite direction to satisfy and promote the Father's eternal purpose. Since we are born ignorant of this purpose, it must be learned. The only teacher is God the Holy Spirit. And, quote, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. So, we have... Only a couple phrases tonight, so maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll uh, we'll end early. If there are any questions, we will do our best to leave. Make sure we leave some time for them. And uh, but we'll get right into it. Let's dig in. So we only broke this down into two phrases: be devoted to one another in love, and the second phrase, honor one and one another above yourselves. So let's get into it. First point, point A, is devoted. What does this devoted word mean? Philostrogos. It means cherishing one's kindred, especially parents or children. So it has a word, it has a definition that is sort of like family, you know, cherishing. Uh, fond of natural relatives, uh, that is fraternal toward fellow Christians. It's come to mean that. Kindly affectionate is another way. Um, it 
translated. So that's what, what the word means when it says be devoted to one another in love. So we, we needed to make sure we see how that works. Uh, that means having, having a familial relationship with fellow believers. We should have a tenderness, a deference, um, a preference for, um, for, for believers in this world. Uh, we think about the verse in 1 John 5, it says, we know we are the children of God, but, and the whole world lies in the evil one. So we know that these things are so, so we want to make sure that when we think about who we are in this world, that we know that we, we have to depend on each other. Now, of course, God has us in the world, but if we're looking, if we're on the ground and looking around for people who may support us, it should be fellow believers. This is what it means to be devoted, right? To, to have deference, have humility towards fellow believers. Uh, and, and, and there's a definite difference between those who are believers and unbelievers, if we think about it that way. Uh, if, if, if we were to take all the people in the world right at this present moment and say, uh, how many, if we were to divide them up, we don't know how many are believers or non-believers, but the point is, we, we, were, we could divide the, the whole population of the world at this present moment right now could be divided into believers and unbelievers. And that distinction is how God sees it. If it's unbelievers, you know what he's doing? He's going after them to, uh, with the gospel to get them to understand the issues so that they can believe in Christ. If it's believers, he sees us all as a family, as one body doesn't matter if we're Jews or Gentiles or origin. Of course, a lot of those things matter to us because we, we come from Adam. But God is telling us those things don't matter anymore. So we have to begin to trust God, to allow him to have this new reality created in our hearts that doesn't depend on social status, uh, gender status, uh, racial status, uh, all the different, who, who has the most money and who doesn't, right? It does all these distinctions that are made. And we, whatever other distinctions there are, none of them matter if you're in Christ. You have a family. And in that family, we are all one body. Now, it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter if you're living in the United States or any country in the world, you are brothers and sisters with those around the world who believe in Christ. Th that is how God sees it. And when he's telling you that we ought to have devotion toward one another in love, that is the command. That's the thought. And we should know that we don't have that concept so since Adam didn't bring that concept to the table, God does. So we should know that we have to yield to God, the Holy Spirit, in order to have what he is asking us to allow in, in our hearts. And we're going to get to, to more of that as we go forward. Point B in your notes. This word has its origin in the human family, right? So this is not a word that doesn't have an origin in the human family, but it is not to be understood only in this manner. Since the spirit influence love, influence love does not originate within us, we are to allow, and this is where it is, allow the spirit to influence us. So think about it, right? I get, if I tell you, oh, have brotherly love. Well, this word can be used in human circles, right? But is the same brotherly love that humans have the same as what he's telling us in the church? No, it is not. Because if God has to tell us this, that means we didn't have it. 
That means the Holy Spirit had to generate this in us. So any command of God cannot be carried out by human means. Every command, God equips us in order for us to be able to do what he wants us to do. We are not doing what God wants us to do in human power or human reasoning. It is all from taught from the Holy Spirit. So that's the thought. First John 5, 1 and 2. Let's look at that really fast to see what what that has to offer. First John 5, 1 and 2 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So notice, he's saying, in this family that we're talking about, this is, there is love circulates, right? It, you could almost understand it because in the human relationships, family love is, uh, is a constant, right? But it's not always the truth, right? We see mothers and fathers that are bad, and, and do the wrong thing and don't show love to their children. But it is a natural thought that the mother would love her child, that the father would love her child, even though there are exceptions. Well, in this family, in the new family we're talking about, God is using that word, but he's also telling us that this is uh, a part of what the Holy Spirit brings to our lives. And just remember, we will have the Holy Spirit, not just here in this life, but forever. So, verse 2. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So, John has given examples. Remember, John's book here in 1 John is a bit contentious because of the attacks that were leveled against the church, the early church. So he's trying to help us identify what a true brother is, what true love is, what what a true believer is. How do you determine that? Because false believers have infiltrated the church. False people, who are not believers, I should say, have come in and ascended to the you know to the level of teaching in the church. <clears throat> so he's saying, this is how we know that we love the children of God. How is it? By loving and carrying out God's commands. Now, he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. Stop. Don't even think about it that way. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus gave commands. He says in, in John 13, this, is, this show is how all men shall know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Now, the, all of the people who have this calling have this love. And when we think about it, Israel, who had a special calling before God, they were supposed to love each other. And God said it in another way, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And here, we have a very similar command from Jesus that we ought to love each other. He took the disciples, he told them, he, he put a towel on, and he got down before them, and he washed their feet and he washed their feet because he was letting he was teaching them that they need to have concern for one another and that is the one thing they didn't have right they did not have the love for each other and they protested Jesus this is in John 13 7 Jesus replied you do not realize what I am doing but later you will understand Peter's wash my feet and, and everything then. Then Jesus says, well, um, well, first he said, no, you, you're not going to wash my feet. Yeah, that's what he said. Then he says, well, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then Peter said, well, then, <laughs> then give me a full bath and everything. And Jesus said, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet and their whole body is clean. Are, and you are clean, though not every one of you. And then he was talking about Jesus, uh, Judas rather. He knew who was going to betray him. So look at verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. 
You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, here it is, you should wash one another's feet. And he's talking to the disciples here. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What is he talking about with the wash? Should we wash each other's feet? No, he's talking about the humility. And this is bad because some people, and I know some churches, I grew up in a church where foot washing was a thing. You could wash somebody's feet, but that does not mean, that's, a, that's an outward, external thing you can do, but it does not mean that you have humility in your heart toward that fellow believer. So there's nothing that you can do that will translate that to humility in your heart other than to understand and yield to the ministry of the Spirit. Having the humility to yield to that ministry of Spirit and to value that fellow believer as we're going to get into later. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Verse 16 very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, no, and no, uh, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So all of this is to say there is a matter of humility, submission to one another, serving one another. It is uncommon today that this people that people are allowing the spirit to influence them in this manner so let's read point two again the world the word the word philostrogos has its origin in the human family but is not to be understood only in this manner since the spirit influenced love it influenced love does not originate with us spirit influence love we are to allow the Spirit to influence us. Now, think about it. I'm not saying that you should take the Word and allow it, uh, or think of it in human terms and then apply that to fellow believers. What I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit will motivate you, will influence you in this. Your job in this is to allow the Spirit to influence you, to allow Him to use you in this life. Point C, in other words, do not resist the influence. That's how it works. So that means agree with the Spirit and submit to Him. That's, that's all we can do. Because whatever the Spirit is asking us to do is a spiritual function. It is about this Holy Spirit having uh, influence in our lives. Now, of course, we can short-circuit that by not allowing the Holy Spirit to influence us. Hence, like to the, to the Jews, you do always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your forefathers did, so do you. Or, uh, stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Or, as another verse says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. These are ways that we can tell the Holy Spirit, who is trying to influence us, not only to grow up and, and lead and guide us into all truth, but he's trying to show the, the, the character of the new creation in us, in each of us. He's trying to demonstrate that through us. Now, only he's not telling you to come up with it. He's telling you to allow it. He's not telling you to invent it. He's telling you to allow these things to happen in your life. If you just allow the Holy Spirit, He will lead and guide you into all truth. What I mean allow, it has to do with humility. Point D in your notes. The direction of this influence is toward each other. Right? So we could talk about God wants us to love Him. Right? That's one thing. Right? And we have, that means we still got to understand what love is for us to love God. Because we, we want to love him in the same manner that 
we saw Christ love the Father right, when he was here on earth. That gives us a good example or demonstration of what that love is like. Well, well this love is directed toward each other, right? Not so much Christ, but how we should treat fellow believers. And that's important because we already saw the family understanding that we are one, that we're the only ones here in the world in the situation we're in who are saved. And, and, and it, like I said, in this world, you will have trouble. So the direction of this influence is toward each other. Why would we need to be told this? Because the cultural and religious antagonism in, in existence against the Father's plan. That's why. There is cultural and religious antagonism that fights against the Father's plan. So we need to be told this because this is not what we got from Adam. This is something different. And we need to be sure that we understand not to uh, fall into this religious and cultural. What do I mean by religious and cultural? It's because of the way of the world. Look at the Jews and Gentiles. We have to think about what was happening in the, at the time of writing. Jews hated the Gentiles. I mean, they hate, it was part of their culture to be separate from them, to, to remove themselves, to not go in the way of the Gentiles or the Samaritans. Right? This, was, this was built into their culture. And we even saw one example in Acts where Peter said, we know that it is against our law for me as a Jew to go into a Gentile's house. Now, you would say, well, wow, that's interesting, Peter. It's against your law. It was, so the, even though it really, it really wasn't, the, Jew, the Jews were supposed to be the light to the Gentiles, to bring salvation to the nations. That was their job. And they managed this whole thought of their calling with, separatism. Let's get separate. Let's separate from the Gentiles. How did the Gentiles respond? Not positively. <laughs> they, they saw the hatred and the separatism. They returned it to the Jews. They said, well, you hate me. I hate you. And, and boy, it was just back and forth. They called each other names. It was on. So how in the world will we have these groups come together? There's antagonism. There's fighting in, in the ranks here of, between these two groups. I know there, there's always fighting in Adam, right? There's, there's a opposition, there's hostility, bitterness, resentment. All these things go on in between groups, period, races. Uh, but now it's religious as well. So God has... This is not something that naturally happens. This is something that God, the Holy Spirit, must overcome by, by love. He's telling us we ought to be devoted. He, and he's using this word to tell us that it's a familial love. We have to see each other as family, as one. So, in this point, D, I can imagine someone saying in those days, quote, who came up with this plan? associate with the Gentiles? Like, what? And that's how people looked at this. Right? The, you, when God the Father said that this is the plan, this is the church, right? In the church, here it is. You're not under the Mosaic Law and you know Jews and Gentiles together in one body. In fact, if you're in Christ, there is no Jew. There is no Gentile. We are all one in Christ, right? That, I can imagine somebody saying, wait a minute. Who came up with this? Well, let me tell you who came up with this. The Father. He's the one who chose us in him before the creation of the world. So if we have any problems with the design of the church, which they did, it was a big problem in the early church, then you are really saying that you don't like the Father's plan. You're saying you don't like the Father. You are caving into what is worldly. So it's just like it says in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. If it, do not love the world, neither the things in it, that are in the world. That would include culture. If any man loves the world, 
The love of the Father is not in him. See, so when you question the design of the church, you are questioning the Father's eternal purpose. And this is not just, well, the Father said, well, Israel didn't work out for me too well, so I think I'll come up with this church thing. No, 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 no. The church, God chose us in him before. This is plan A, not plan B. <laughs> this is plan A. There is no plan B with God. It's just plan A. He sees it all. He knows it all. Israel will be successful. This, the church is plan A. So, but those on the ground are questioning it. They hated one another. They did not want to associate. They had the circumcision group, as we learned in, in the Galatians study, who were fighting to get people to go back to the previous dispensation, the Mosaic Law. They would not adhere to the new age. So that's why it was imperative that we understand uh, this and allow God the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into this new dispensation. It was not natural to us in order for us to fulfill it. Point E. This is a quote from Galatians 5, 16 and 17 from the Good News Bible. The only reason why I quoted this is because it kind of, I like the way it tells the story, these two verses, Galatians 5, 16 and 17. And I think it fits what we were dealing with in terms of this, from this love, even though it could be used in human family relationships, it is not natural to us because it, we're dealing with a spiritual body. So God, the Holy Spirit, has to give us this. So Galatians 5, 16 and 17 reads, What I say is this. Let the Spirit direct your lives, and you will not satisfy the desires of the human nature. That's the sin nature, by the way. For what our human nature wants is opposed to what the Spirit wants. And what the Spirit wants is opposed to what our human nature wants. Right? The two are enemies. Right? And this means that you cannot do what you want to do. So a lot of people have trouble with this verse, right? They, they wonder, well, what is he talking about? We can't do what we want to do. Well, what does that mean? Right? So the, let's just put it in context. 5.17 in the N, NIV says, For the flesh desires which is contrary to the spirit, spirits contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not, you are not to do whatever you want. So that's another way to say it. You cannot do. Well, what would you? What do you want to do? What we want to do, or what we think we want to do, is what is natural to us. That is what we were born in, the sin nature, right? So, God, the Holy Spirit, presents to us a different influence. So we have what is natural to us. That is a natural influence that we all have from Adam. But now, God the Holy Spirit comes along and presents a different influence. And now, he's, he says, no, this is what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to think. Here's, here's what I want you to express toward fellow believers. Right? So this means you cannot do what you want. You can't do it because the Holy Spirit was given. Now, if you yield to the Spirit... You will definitely not fulfill the lust of the flesh, says Galatians 5. So one day we'll, actually we will get into this once we get to these verses in our Sunday study in Galatians. So you, you, the reason why you, you can't do what you want to do or you don't do what you want to do is because the Spirit challenges what is natural to us. This tells us that it's not something that we have within ourselves. We have to yield to the ministry of the Spirit. Point. So, so the, the phrase that we're dealing with says, be devoted to one another in love, in love. So point F, we're dealing with the in love part. And here's the Greek word for love here. It's not agape. It's Philadelphia. Huh. I wonder, I wonder if you know that's the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. It comes from the Greek word, 
And that's the Greek word that means brotherly love or kindness. I'm not sure you're going to get that when you go to Philly. Maybe, maybe you will. It means brotherly love, kindness, love of the brethren. And that's what, and if you look at all of the words that we had prior, philostrogos. So it, that, the root word philos or, or filio is part of that, which is part of this word here, which means brotherly love. So, uh, so how are we going to be devoted to one another? In love, it's this kind of love, this brotherly love, this familial love that we should have toward each other. We have to see each other as belonging, all of us belonging to the same family. We're one. And the, the bond that we have is as a result of what we know is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit baptizes us or identifies us with the body of Christ. So we have another scripture here. It's Ephesians 4.32. The reason I'm bringing these scriptures is to help us understand uh, these commands a little better so we understand. But I want, before I read Ephesians 4.32, let me read 4.31. 4.30. Okay? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So we're talking about resistance of the Spirit. If you grieve in the Spirit, He's not. It's, it's a human thing. The Holy Spirit is not sitting around wringing His hands and sad. Right? He, he, it's to say that we're stopping the Holy Spirit from, from having the influence in our lives that He wants to have. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's not going to go away, obviously. You're sealed. 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. What's malice? Malice is wanting to hurt somebody. Violence. So get rid of all of that. Now, all of that was going on in the early church. Why would he need to say this if people did not have these things in their heart? So God is saying, I have a better way. I have a better way than what you've been used to. And what were they used to? All of those things, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, right? This is how they handled each other when it comes to Jews and Gentiles and all these distinctions, men and women, uh, those who were rich to those who were poor, those who were slaves to those who were free. It could go on and on. Now watch this, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. How would you do that? Well, you would stop grieving the Holy Spirit. You would submit to him. You would allow him to demonstrate these things in your life, to influence you to have these things in your life. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. There will be conflicts among believers. But here's the attitude that God the Holy Spirit would wants us to have. Now, if you took... This is one further illustration before we go to point number two. If you took these words, compassionate, forgiving, kind, right? And you studied them. You're like, okay, let me find out what Webster says about kind. Let me find out what he says about being compassionate. And then you study that and you said, aha, I got it. I know what it means to be compassionate. I know what it means to be kind. So now when somebody comes to me, I'm going to exhibit that. And if I'm going to forgive them just like Christ forgave me. You could say that, right? You may say that. However, that is you trying to behave in a certain way. That's only external. But when the Holy Spirit influences you and you just say, I will allow it. I Go ahead. Have your way. Influence me. Then these are the things he will influence you to be. You don't have to learn them and then try to mimic them or copy them. What you do is you allow the Spirit, who already has this understanding, to influence you accordingly. Now, part of this, prior to this, is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's going to teach us what, he, what the will of God is for us. 
But then he begins with these types of graces in our lives. He, we're, we're kind to one another. Or, as the King James Version has on this verse, which is, I would say, important. Here it is. Let me just, I, I know we don't often go to King James. He says, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted. Tender-hearted means not mean. Now, of course, like I said, you can't practice this. You can't just say, well, I, I'm going to suppress what my feelings are no matter what. I'm going to grip my teeth and bear it. Nope, 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 nope. It's a matter of yielding your life to the Holy Spirit. He will, he will create these graces in you forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. I like that tender-hearted. Uh, so it's important. Having, for, having forgiveness for one another. It's, it's not something you create. It's something that God creates in you. Hopefully that point is known, and I've made it. Okay, so the second part of it, of the verse, that we have here is honor one another above yourselves. We have to get this part. This is important so you see what it means. I'm giving you a definition in point A of what honor is. Time. So it means a value. That is money paid or concretely or collect and collectively. Uh, valuables. It means by analogy esteem. Especially of the highest degree, or the dignity itself, or honor, precious, price for some. So in other words, if we look at this from a numerical standpoint, we would have, we would, or money, we would say money has a value attached to it. It's, it's, that's how, but we're not looking at it from necessarily that, that point of view, but we're talking about in the church as a, to fellow believers. We are to honor one another above ourselves. And we have to see what that means. And what that, mean, that doesn't mean we go around looking at other people and saying, yeah, this, I'm, they're better than me. That's not what they're saying. We're going to get what they're saying here in the next phrase. A point, uh, point B now. This is the heart of a servant. A servant looks away from self and their own interests and can see what is needed. So how I look at this verse, there's a key to it in Philippians. Let's go to Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It illustrates the same thing, and I believe this is the principle that we need to get. Philippians chapter 2, 3, and 4. Here it is. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. There it is. Selfish means what? For self. Vain, vain means all about you and conceit. Right? Rather, here's, so notice, see what's natural to us, right? The first part of that verse. Rather, okay, in humility. Right? Now this is a humility saying, okay, Spirit, Holy Spirit, do what you will. Have, have your way in my life. Here it is. Value others above yourselves. What does that mean, to value somebody else? So I don't look at my fellow believers say, you're better than me. You're better than me. You're better than me. That's not what he's saying. This is what he's saying, and it's explained in verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So it's a servant heart. Right? That's, it's a minister's heart. So always looking to serve. Jesus says, I'm the, your Lord. Remember, we just gave the analogy of how he, uh, they were all in the upper room and he got a towel, he strapped a towel on him and he got some water and he bent down to wash the disciples' feet. And he says, what I've done to you, you do also. And he was talking about humility, valuing each other, serving each other. We just came from the spiritual gifts. Well, we're not past there but we're just we just dealt with them in detail and we saw how the gifts are for each of us to serve one another so you need that humility to be able to do that but what does it mean holding others in high esteem it means seeing that 
what they need and giving it to them. And guess what? God has equipped you to, to be able to do just that through your spiritual gift. So by you focusing on yourself, obviously you won't ever see what your spiritual gifts are. But not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's the key of understanding what it means to value others above yourselves. It is service to them. It is honoring them through service. So that's point B. Point C. We are all here to serve in whatever capacity the Spirit has gifted us. So think about it. We are not here to receive our crowns, our glory, and none of that, right? That's, that may be later, for sure, but it is certainly not here and now. We're here to serve. So when Christ was here, he was spit upon, he was beaten, he, you know, he, he was mocked. They said he had a demon. All these things, he was accused. He, he, was, he was not somebody who was lifted, hoisted up on uh, a chair and said, hey, this is the king of kings, lord of lords. No other name given. No, he did not get his glory while he was here on the earth. He did not. So we have to recognize that we're here in the world just like he was. Should we, should God, I know today is like this prosperity gospel. If we just do what God wants us to do, he will give us all these great things. We will be blessed with all blessings. We'll have a chicken in every pot. The American dream thing, right? We'll have a car in every garage. We'll have that house with the picket fence. And, and we'll be blessed you know, abundantly if we just do what God wants us to do. If we're obedient to the Mosaic Law and all these things that people say today. Right? They're preaching some of the same rhetoric. But in reality, we're here to serve. It's not about us. It's about God has given you a gift. What's that gift for? To bolster who you are? No, so that you can serve others. I think that's a big problem as to why people don't know what their gift is because of this thought that it's about them. It's not about you. It's a matter of growth. You know, we used to say it this way. I used to say it this way. I don't know what others say, but I used to say it this way. I said when when you're born and it's all it's only you, then it, it's all about you. Everything you do is self-centered, right? It's about you. Then if you get married, guess what you got to learn in marriage? And one of the major things you have to learn is that it's not all about you. It's about the us now. It's about us, you in the other, your partner who is married, who you're married to, whether it be, that thought is what then consumes you. If you can't adjust to that, then obviously there's going to be problems, major problems in the marriage. It's not about one person. It's, it's about the us, right? And then when the child comes along, guess what? It's not about the us anymore. It's about that child. That child is the one who uh, gets all the attention. Right? You might think, oh, it's about me. Well, then you're not going to be a good parent because that child has demands, needs. If you don't see what those needs are, then you're not going to be a good parent. So the shift, there's a shift in focus about who, who what it is. It's, we're serving ourselves. We're serving each other in marriage. And then we're serving that child. So it is when you're growing up in Christ. Same thing, right? You gotta, you, you're saved. Just because you're saved does not mean you have all these uh, this understanding or that you know what the Holy Spirit is trying to lead you into. You're a baby. You don't know anything. So you have to learn. Grow in grace and in knowledge. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word. So you got to grow up, right? And once you grow up, you get to see, you, you, and you begin to see, it begins to unfold to you what the Father's eternal purpose is. You may not know it. You're just learning it. You don't love it. You're just hearing it. But as you come to understand what it is, the Holy Spirit begins to kick in, and we begin to love it. He influences us to see the beauty, right? to, re, to understand what the Father's eternal purpose is. 
we come to respect it, to honor it, to value it. And then we come to serve it. Now we realize it's not about ourselves. It's about God, the Holy Spirit's influence uh, for the Father's eternal purpose. And we just yield to it. We don't have to fight. We just yield. We've learned about what the Father's plan is automatically. The Spirit helps us to learn how to love it. I'm not saying everybody must love it or everybody must learn. These are all optional that will be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ for us. So this is important for us to know how points, that's point C, we're here to serve whatever capacity the Spirit has gifted us in whatever way. Point D, when it comes to our role as ambassadors, we are serving those lost as as. And we're the ministers of reconciliation. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 21. So even if you give somebody the gospel, you know what you're doing? You're serving them. You're not telling them. You're not putting them in their place. You're serving them. You're seeing what they need. You're seeing where we can help them. Maybe they don't understand this aspect or salvation or, or the atonement. Maybe they don't understand righteousness. Maybe they don't understand what a free gift is. Maybe they don't understand what grace is. Whatever it is, we learn, we observe in humility. We look away from what we want to say and what, what we want to present, and we give them what they need. Right? We supply. It's just like somebody has a question. And you don't answer that question, but you say, you, oh, this is an opportunity for me to speak now. <laughs> so, so, but, but that's not. It's an opportunity for you to satisfy what they need. Right? That's important. That's what humility is all about. So when it comes to salvation, there it is, right? We take the time to make sure that we understand what that person is about and so that we can properly give them the gospel. That was point D. Point E. Humility is the deciding factor as to whether we will allow God to use us or to use the wisdom destined for our glory right, in this world. Right? It, this is it. Now, if I look at Philippians 2, 3, I'm going to look at a couple. Of, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Here it is. So humility is the... The deciding fact. If you don't have humility, God the Holy Spirit won't be able to uh, produce these influences in your life. You must have, in humility, value others above yourselves. See, so humility takes a low position of yourself, and it that means you're, since you're not focused on self, you're, you're able to hear the voice of the Spirit. And then there's Colossians 3.12. It's another verse that talks about humility, how important it is. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So there it is. That humility, patience, all of these things are graces that we are to have in the spiritual life. And all of them are super, super important to us fulfilling what God would have us do in this world. So point F, point F in our notes, and we're going to close here soon. So we'll have some opportunity. If there are questions, it's your choice. Remember, there will be rewards for us later, not now. Christ didn't receive his rewards in this world. In this world. So just keep that in mind. I know you might say, well... It doesn't this work you know as a Christian you know the world the Christian world is telling people that if they just do what God wants them to do they'll be so successful in this life they will have all the money in the bank and if or they will they will be prospered in every area and you know if they're not Christians look at themselves and think have I failed why am I do, I'm doing what God wants me to do why why isn't he blessing me with all the things that I want What's the problem, God? I mean, I thought, after all, if you if I serve you, you would give me what I want, the desires of my heart. Well, no, that's not the way it works. It works this way. It works that you have humility in this world. Jesus taught us this. 
in Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at it since if you're already close to there, Philippians 2. So we'll go from 6 to 11. So 6, who, even though Christ, this is when he came into the world, he gives this example, right? Now, I've got to go back to 5. I'm sorry. So 5, in your relationships with one another. Isn't that what we're talking about? Just so you know, right? It's This is how it works in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So he didn't look at himself and think, I'm somebody. I am the Son of God. I am the Word. I created all things. I, without me, there was not one thing made. Right? He could say that, but that's not what he did. He did not see himself. He did not think about himself. What did he do? Rather, no, rather means here's what he really did. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. How did he do make himself nothing? By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So there it is. He, he is God. He was equal with God, but yet he is playing a role. He's coming to earth for the accomplishment of the Father's plan. Is he filled? When he came into the world, was he riding on the high places of the earth? Was he doing all? No, 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 not at all. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of the servant, made in human likeness. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. There it is, with the humility, right? By becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He fulfilled the Father's plan. So after he did that, what does it say in verse 9? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him a name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there you have you see the humility of Christ. You see him following while he was in the world what he did in order to allow God to use him to, to, to exploit his presence in this world. And then what do you see? You see after, after this, his, soul, his world role was over, what happens? Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. What about you? When will you receive your rewards? It won't be in this world. Right now, we're in the crucible of suffering. We're in the place where God says, in this world, you will have trouble. So we're going to take up our cross and follow Christ. And this is what it's going to look like for us. Don't expect your reward here. Just understand that you can have joy as you know that you're fulfilling the purpose of God in this world. And you know that God is behind you, that he is... He, uh, the Holy Spirit is influencing you, and you are in the will of God. Just know there's the joy that we have. It's like it says, for the joy set before him. He, he, he despised the shame, the cross, all of that. And now he is set down on the right hand of God. So we can have that joy. But in this world, you will have trouble. So I know, I know what other Christian organizations are saying. That if you just have faith, God will give you whatever you want. Oh, that's not what the Christian way of life is. Christian way of life, we're dead. The Apostle Paul said it best. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we're going to stop at this point. Hopefully uh, we understand these things in the light of the context, right? We're not just talking about what is, uh, what is love for one another and honoring one another apart from the Father's eternal purpose. That's what we're doing here in the first place. So hopefully you see these things according to context. We'll see some more of them next week. So at this point, I will pause to see if there are any questions out there.
with the floor is open. disciples for the church age. So if you go back to John 13, let's look at it. So remember, uh, we studied John 14 through 17, which is the preparation. We stopped. We, did, we could have gone back to 13 because 13, he was part of it as well. But he, even though we didn't cover that as part of it, it is still part of it. So let's look at some of it. <clears throat> he says, um, he poured water, this is verse five, into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter. Peter says, no, not me. You are not going to wash my feet. You don't realize what I'm doing. But later, notice, you will understand. And that later is in the church age, right? That's when we have this. No, said Peter, I want everything washed. And he says, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Skip down to verse 10. Jesus answered, those who have a bath only need to wash their feet and the whole body is clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. He knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said they were not, not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on the towel, returned to his place. He said, don't you, do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. And I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now remember, he's at the upper room. He's getting, this is the last night where he has opportunity to teach him. So he says, very truly, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you... Know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not, I'm not referring to all of you. He's talking about Judas again. He will share bread against me, is turned against me. Verse 19, I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. And look in verse 20, very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send, accepts me. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. He's talking about the Father. Whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. So this is in preparation for the disciples to understand the church age. And he goes on in 14. The reason why 14, that people, that the disciples are upset because Jesus tells them he's going away. Uh, in 13, in 14 he says, do not, don't let, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he tells them about what their destiny is. My father's house are many rooms. If I were not so, wouldn't I have told you? I am going there to prepare a place for you. So that's a great question. How is this integrated? That's how. Those disciples that were there are part of the introduction to the church age. Jesus began to talk about this information about him and the father and how the father is in me and you know the place where I'm going. Um, you know, all of this, he unfolds when the Spirit comes. You know, so all the things we already studied. Uh, I'll pause, Bill. Great, great. No, I got you. Mm -hmm. I'll you. And now, and I mentioned earlier as well that Israel had this command as well, even though... And John says it's not a new command, and it's not. But this command is for us and our calling, and that is that we ought to love each other. Greater love is no one than this, that, he, that than, you know, it, well, how does it say? It says, this is how you show that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. 
So love is is key for this age uh, because it is what binds us together. Love one another. And this is it in verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. This is John 13, 34. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's where I, I was getting that from. So the idea is was in Israel. The command was love your neighbor as yourself. So Israel was one unit. They had one calling, right? They, they were one nation under God to all the other nations. And God told them the same thing. He said, love each other, prefer, honor each other. And uh, obviously we know Israel failed, yes, but we know they will succeed. Well, in the church, he gives us the same command. We need the same camaraderie. We need to make sure that we see each other, not as enemies, I'm talking about fellow believers, but as those who are dearly loved. Yes, not everybody has the right mindset. Some are children. Some refuse to grow up. Some are stubborn. Some don't want to grow up at all. But we have to have love for them. We have to see if we can minister to them. What do they need? How can we serve them? Right. This, this is exactly how we should. Now, of course, there could be some that are very stubborn and you can't serve. But we have to respect that. They have the right to choose whether they want to grow up or not. So we, there, are, there are some limits to that. But we have to make sure that we see that as a part of who we are in this world. I'll just read one scripture, but uh, I'll throw it back out there before we get there. 1 John 5. We do have a couple more minutes. 1 John 5. This is the verse I was quoting earlier. I did not. Um, here it is. 5.19. 1 John 5.19. We know that we are the children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So think about that for a second. We can, cannot look at the world as our friend. It is, we're, the only, we're all we got. I know that's bad English, really. We are, we're all we have. But we're all, I'm going to say it that way. We are all we got. That's it. Obviously, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. I understand all that. I'm talking about if we look around at each other. We can only trust believers. And even some of the believers, we have to watch if they have not grown up because they could lead us astray. They could have the false influence. So we have to follow the Holy Spirit's leading, his guiding in this world. We can't depend on the world for our help. We, we can only depend on God and each other. And when we say each other, that means the spiritual gifts that God has given those in the world who are believers. So I'll pause, see if there are other thoughts out there. All right. Quiet tonight. So that's good. But thank you for the question, Bill. That's a good one. And we're going to close. Let's bow our heads as we do. Thank you, Father. We're glad we have this time this evening. And, and Father, we, we pray and ask that you would teach us to love, teach us in humility to exhibit the love that you have here for us through the means and influence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is important for us in our function down here helping us to look away from ourselves, whether it be for salvation and look away from our works to Christ or now in the spiritual life, look away from ourselves to serve others, fellow believers, and to serve those who don't know the gospel. We thank you for this role that we have. You chose us to be here at this point in time. We're grateful for you for that and Father, as we close, we are just going to lift up in prayer. Uh, Dad, uh, who uh, is still recovering, and you know 
exactly where he is and what's happening with him. Father, we lift Frederick Daniel Presley Sr. up this evening in a special way. You know all the things that are going on in him. We pray for his heart as well, that he will have the right attitude and continue to focus on what he needs to do so that he can uh, be home and uh, be healed and be restored. Also, Father, we pray for Mike, Pastor Mike, at this hour, Lord, you know the particulars there as well. Uh, we're asking for comfort for that family, whatever is going on, Lord, we, we, we may not know exactly, but you know perfectly. And, but we're lifting them up. He is on our hearts this evening, and we're praying for him and his family as well. And Father, we continue to pray for the Haddon family, especially uh, Gail and Kenny Jr. and Christina, special way. Lord, you know the problems there and what's going on. It's, t- it's a tough world we live in. We understand that. And we know we're not all going to be here forever. You know, one day we will depart and be face-to-face with you. And so, Lord, we pray for those who may be grieving in the Haddon family at this hour. Also, Father, the other families, uh, the, the Whites family, Bills, Daves, Lord, look into each one of them as what is on their hearts. We know you want our full attention on you. So whatever cares they have, encourage them to cast all their cares on you so that they can continue to grow in grace and focus on the Father's eternal purpose. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right. Amen. All right. Mm-hmm.